Hey guys, Clay Thompson here. By now you probably know that I like to read the newspaper. I just like that old school feel. But when I'm traveling or too busy to grab a paper, I like to go digital. It doesn't matter how you read the news, it just matters that you read it. That's how I stay informed. Read the paper or go digital. It's up to you. Be like Clay. Subscribe today and get local coverage of everything that matters. Read the paper. Subscribe to digital or print by going to clayoffer.com. It's news delivered your way. Brought to you by the Mercury News, East Bay Times, and Marin Independent Journal. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn right here on Westwood One. On this episode, I have got from Enough's Enough, the one, the only, Chips Enough. He is absolutely, absolutely wonderful. One of my favorite people on earth, followed by, as I rush through this, uh, Boy George. And I know what you're thinking. Boy George on a rock show? Yes, stick around and I will let you know why. And at the time of this recording, uh, Rob Halford is supposed to call in. So my third guest, hopefully today, will be Rob Halford of Judas Priest. But of course, before we get to all that, let us get over to our co-host, Alan Niven. Good day, sir. Hi, Mitch. How are you doing? Is it hot in Canada? It is unbelievably hot. It is. Uh, we have been in Montreal since somewhere in mid-June in the 90s nonstop. It has rained almost not at all. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something. In fact, I went down to uh, Boston to see Journey on August 11th, and I actually had to bring a sweater because it was chilly down there, <laughs> which, I'm, ah. which I'm not used to, you know? I, I would say not, but uh, I think people are going to look at this summer, and I think anybody at this point is going to take... Um, the notion of global warming just slightly more seriously. Yeah, it's it's definitely been different. And uh, what are we talking about? Almost seven or eight weeks of 90 degrees temperatures in Montreal in, in the summers is a bit kooky, but I like it. So, you know. Well, what, if, it's, if it's a rare occasion, great. But I look at what's going on in England and they're having a summer that uh, uh, is actually the hottest in my lifetime. Um, and I think wow. they're, they're enjoying it, but I think they're also worried that it might happen again and again. You know, and I guess they're not used to it either because I, I have a lot of friends that are touring artists, as, as, as you know, and, you, and they're coming back from England and coming back from Europe going, I'm never touring there in the summer again. They don't have air conditioning in their, in their hotels. And it's like, oh, come nope. on. Yeah, suck it up, no. Buttercup. But yeah, no, they don't. Which is which is a, a strange concept to me in 2018 that people don't have, or at least hotels don't have some kind of central air. But well, uh, well, that tells you they're just not used to the temperature. The buildings are not equipped for it. Never needed it. Anyway, who have we got today? So we've got chips enough. But but whoa, uh, I see what you're doing there. You're trying to get past the white elephant. Is it is it a, is it a white elephant, or is it a or, or is it a white uh, a white shark? Um, Great White recently got rid of, dispensed of, fired, threw out. <laughs> Should I keep going? Uh, singer Terry Ilius, who I happen to think is, is a is a great guy. I love Ter- uh, Terry. He's a, such a he's a friend. So, as are Mark Kendall and, and, and Michael Lardy and the other guys in Great White. But they replaced him with Mitch Malloy, 
And on first glance, you hear the name Mitch. You go, he's got to be absolutely terrific. Uh, but you penned an open letter to fans that was seen on the internet. Um, let's start there. Uh, first of all, what was the motivation for, for penning the letter? And, you know, I, I hate to say it, but because I don't want to be disrespectful to the great white guys, but fan after fan after fan seemed to say, yep, Alan's right. Well, in terms of a motivation, if you actually read the letter, you'll see that um, – the process of trying to uh, get a new frontman uh, was something that actually started a long time ago, um, and I, I felt it was bad that uh, Mitch was um, brought in and Terry dispensed with, 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 with Terry feeling ambiguous as to why. Um, and, you know, obviously, with my history of Great White, um, I'm, I'm perhaps one of the few people who might care or have a right to care uh, ab about who is fronting the band. Um, and I'd always felt that um, Terry was, to me, was somewhat misplaced. Um, yes, he's a great singer, but I think he's better suited to R&B. I've seen some videos of him doing stuff uh, with his own band that I think he looks way more comfortable in and suits him even better. And for me, I was a little surprised that Terry was there for that long. Um, you know, I wrote for an American voice and I wrote for a personality who is a very strong personality. Let's put it that way. And, I have my doubts whether Mitch is the right personality to uh, pick up those songs and, and, and inhabit them the way they should be inhabited. Um, I'm sure he's a lovely guy. He's, he's a very attractive-looking young man. Um, but for me, I'm not sure that he has the kind of edge in his character that suits the band. And yeah. front man of, a, front, a front man of a band has to, has to be unconstrained in the way that they inhabit a song. Um, bands represent freedom of the spirit. Rock, great rock and roll bands represent freedom of the spirit. And the front man, the point of the spear, has to personify that. And the jury's out for me at the moment on that. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I have the utmost respect for Mitch. Uh, he, he, he's also somebody that I, that I talk to on the Internet and email and stuff. He's, you know, he, he's, he's a good guy. I would personally think that he's better suited fronting an AOR band. I mean, if Poison ever needed a singer or, or if Warrant ever needed another singer, I think he would fit in great. I think I personally think that Great White is more uh, dirty rock and roll. And, and now... The name Terry Glaze, formerly of Pantera, came up. Um, that's an interesting choice because I think that he does have that sort of dirty, gritty rock voice. And, and I'd, I'd be very, very interested in, in hearing what he would sound like with the band because I'm sure that he could really deliver that, you know, middle America, old school, you know, Verve and, and uh, I think he might have the right attitude for the band. 
Well, he's an in-your-face performer. I did, I've seen him perform in, in Dallas and Texas. And if you have a choice between respectful mimicry of the past or somebody who brings their own twist to the song but really delivers it as if he wrote it and, if, and delivers it like he really feels it, I'm going to go for the latter every time and have somebody who brings you into the now as opposed to nostalgic mimicry. Um, but that's me. You know, I, I know people want to quote-unquote respect the past, but I think it's an entertaining idea to think about because, you know, as the co-writer of all that material, um, I, I know it's impossible to follow Jack, um, so I'd rather see somebody up there who has their own personality but an absolutely present energy and engages the audience immediately and directly and let them do it their way. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. So, you know, like you said, the jury is out. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what Mitch go- does going forward. I mean, it's only been about a month in, and I've seen some videos, and some of the uh, performances have been really good, and other ones have been a little bit suspicious. But you're like, yeah, well, he's he's just getting into it. Give him give him some time to grow into the role, and we'll see. So we'll we'll see. We'll we will reconvene like you know at Valentine's Day, and 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 have like six months of shows, and go. Okay, this is working or this is not working. But uh, speaking of working, Chips Enough is one of the hardest working men in the world. He has got a new album out with Enough's Enough called Diamond Boy. And after, boy, what are we talking about? 34 years or 35 years of being a band, it is the first album in which he has become the sole solitary lead singer. He is moving forward with a, no pun intended, a new voice new songs and there's a guy who's who thinks about moving forward and going into the future rather than living on past laurels have you at any time had any interactions with 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 chip did they ever get anywhere near the great white or 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 guns and roses sphere i mean i know that he lived with steven adler for six years but anything in the 80s where chip and guns and alan were all in the same building well, no, our paths never crossed. Okay. But I, I was aware that um, he lived with Stephen for a while yep. and was working with him. And obviously, from my point of view, that anybody who contributed six years of energy and positivity to Stephen, um, I doff my cap and say thank you for doing that because I like to see Stephen well and I like to see Stephen happy. Yeah, I think we all do, and 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 hopefully at some point we'll see Stephen uh, join GNR for another show or two. That would be, that would be great. But speaking of GNR, let me totally talk to you a little bit about the Dead Daisies and their current tour with Hookers and Blow that features Guns and Roses' Dizzy Reed. Or have, by the way, have you heard any of the Hookers and Blow stuff? Have you seen any of that stuff with Dizzy? No, I haven't heard that yet. Um... Uh, I, I find the um, Dead Daisies an, 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 an intriguing project. Um, it's interesting to me that a, that a band that uh, um, has, has not yet hit the highest heights, shall we say, um, travels in a G5. I'm, I'm really envious of that. I wish I could have traveled in a G5 with, with a club band back in the day. 
Yeah, me too. But 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 they're great. I mean, their new album "Burn It Down" is out now, and it was recorded with Marty Fredrickson at the helm. Absolutely fantastic. The band, of course, includes mm. Doug Aldrich of White Snake and Dio fame, John Karabi, famous for the Motley Crue album and Hooligans Holiday, which is, by the way, an incredibly great song. Marco Mendoza, of course, who spent some time with Thin Lizzy and Whitesnake, Dean Castronovo from Bad English Journey, and David Lowey. They are, of course, on tour in North America. The first week is now in the books, and as we move forward, Rochester, New York, and then they come to Canada, London, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, before heading back to New York on August 28th. Do head over to deaddaisies.com to check out everything Dead Daisies, and make sure you check out the tour I, of course, will be at the show in Montreal on August 26th. They are also doing an in-store at Steve's Music Store. Come down, come early, hang out with the band, say hi to me, or just say hi to the band and ignore me. Either way, come out. It'll be a great time. DeadDaisies.com. And with that, let us get over to the one, the only, ami personnel, or personal friend, Chip Enough. We are speaking with Enough's Enough, Chip's Enough. The new album is Diamond Boy. And Chip, always, always a great pleasure to talk to you. And just before you say anything, I have to add, what a great album. What a great album. Well done. Ah, I appreciate that. Uh, wonderful reviews. Perhaps we're still the critics' darlings, my friend. And that could mean a bunch of different things. One, we're nice guys and people have been following us for years. Or maybe it's lack of album sales. Who knows? Uh, either way, still going all these years right now, and I and people are grabbing the records. I know that. Yeah, you go out to the live shows and see the band play, and uh, the new template now is selling records at the shows. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Now you're you're fastly approaching what 35 years doing this, right? Uh, it's unbelievable. But tell me, I answer this question: What band gears up for failure? We put these bands together, and we go out there and play, and we hope for the best. And you're lucky enough if you get, if you could just be a footnote, as little Stephen would say. And we are a footnote, at least, because we've been doing this for a long time with a lot of records. It's not like we're living on the first record. This is our 21st record. I think it's our 16th studio album. And there's tons more to go, my friend. Uh, there's a lot of gas still in this tank. Yeah, so I, I do want to take up on that because you keep making new material, even if the lineups have changed and stuff. And now on this one, you had to step up to the mic for the first time and lead the entire uh, parade, if you want. Talk to me about that challenge of saying, you know what? We don't got Johnny. We don't got Donnie. All right. I'm it. Uh, I'll do this. Uh, was that fear-inducing? Was that just like, hey, stuff's got to get done. So I'll uh, you know, talk to me about being vocalist on the entire album. Well, I've been singing on enough snuff albums from the beginning. And I've always accompanied my brother, who I consider the quintessential rock singer. Uh, I, at the end of the day, I would hope that people recognize that uh, he's, he's one of the greatest singers of our generation. He really is he's a wonderful songwriter too, as well. Uh, I, but I had no choice on this one. Uh, what I did was when every, you know, Der we lost Derek in 2004, Derek Frigo, the, the less, uh, irreplaceable, okay, just a wonderful guitar player. And it was right when the band was getting back together for to reconvene the original members, Vicky Fox, Donnie V, Derek Frigo, and myself, that I, we did the question mark record. So that was a tough blow for everybody. You know, it's always tough when you lose a loved one. And uh, three years later, we lost Ricky Perrin, our drummer. 
So it was two tremendous blows that the band took and where most bands would just say, okay, that's it. Uh, enough's enough, no pun intended. We decided to move on. In uh, 2013, after a tumultuous tour over in the UK, uh, Donnie said, uh, you know what, I'm disillusioned by the business. Things have changed. And, uh, you know, he's had some health issues as well. And he stepped down. So, and basically he told me, he says, if you're going to carry on with the name Enough's Enough, you should sing the songs. I wasn't sure if I had the confidence to do that following his footsteps. But, you know, I looked at bands like Foreigner, great band, Kelly Hansen, wonderful singer, doing a wonderful job. Uh, Journey, of course, Steve Perry's stepping aside and Arnell taking over. Or for that matter, Stone Temple Pilots, uh, getting Jeff got to come back in and start singing the songs. And I, I said, you know what? I can go somewhere else and try to find somebody that sounds like my little brother, or I can maybe try to do it myself. And what I do is I look at the Genesis. That was my template. When Peter Gabriel uh, sashayed and got sick of the business, Phil Collins came in and stepped in. And I'm not comparing myself to Phil Collins whatsoever. A guy sold 200 million records. Wonderful singer. But that was my template. I said, you know, maybe I'll just do it myself and see how it works. And with the confidence of my band, mostly Tony Fennell, uh, the former singer of Ultravox, who's now the guitar player in Enough's Enough. Tony said, you can do this, mate. Uh, just let's let's have some rehearsals and see how it goes. And the first rehearsal in Chicago, uh, said it all. Band sounded terrific. People that were working there came in and said, man, you guys, what a great band. You guys sound terrific. And that gave us the confidence to go out and play some shows. And we the first uh, so many dates we did it seemed to work out really well. But I think it was M3 Festival. It really took off for us. We played for 16,000 people. It was like a great spot they put us in. I think we went out around 5.36 o'clock. And the band absolutely was on fire. We were full of piss and vinegar. The fans showed up. The trim was out at the shows. The people were drinking, having a good time. It was like back to the old days. And uh, after the show, I, I went to the merch table, a meet and greet, and there was 3,000 people that were there. I uh, just wanted to shake my hand, say hello, thanks for keeping it going. Uh, kissing hands, shaking babies all led to uh, working at the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. And I was a counselor, and Paul Stanley was there, and Paul pulled me aside at the Whiskey A Go-Go backstage, just him and I sitting back there. He says, Chip, how would you like to open for Kiss for a few shows? On the, on the Kiss Cruise, and I said, you don't tell Paul Stanley no when he asks you a question. And I said, of course, Paul, I would be grateful and do that and honored. And he got on the phone with Doc McGee and says, yeah, throw Chip and the boys on. And that was it. That started it all off for us, really, where we were able to parlay those four shows into 30 dates after that with uh, Ace Freely. That tour was terrific because the Ace Freely fans, uh, a lot of them, I'm sure, didn't know who Enough Snuff was and weren't aware of us, but we killed it every single night, encores, standing ovations, and we said, okay, we can do this for sure. And right after that is when Frontiers Records approached us, uh, uh, Sarfini, and said, uh, Chip, uh, we'd love to do a record. Send me some material. I sent him two songs, which coincidentally are not on this record, but he loved them. He says, okay, go ahead, move on. And we recorded the record here in Chicago at my studio. And then I went over to Chicago recording company where, you know, next door to me was chance the rapper and Kanye West. And he said, you know what, this is with the vibes are ridiculous. It's a different day and age. Let's just make a seventies record. And I think we nailed it. You really did. I mean, it, it's exactly what it needs to be. So you said that, that Donnie was disillusioned with the business. And I was sitting on a bus last week with 
Frank Marino of Mahogany Rush and Zach Wild. And Frank was talking about how he's never seen a royalty check in his life and how here we are 40 years into his career and he doesn't know what that's like because of all the bad deals he signed. Was part of Donnie's disillusionment and, and, you know, for you, did you sign a whole bunch of bad deals going forward? Like, do you own your back catalog and your back songs or are you one of these or, or, or are you an artist that has these horror stories of like, oh, my God, they so took advantage of us? Well, those deals are all in perpetuity. You're still going to make dough no matter what. All the artists make something, but obviously the record company. There's a word that's in every contract that a lot of musicians don't know about. It's called recoupable. So when you go on tour and you have a record and you have a hit song or two hit songs or three, whatever you have, and you're traveling around the country, uh, there's money that goes into that for tour support, uh, working the songs at um, radio and at retail, uh, going out there and doing videos. It all adds up and you've got to pay that money back. It's not free. And you're paying basically the record company to help you to be become successful. And obviously the businesses went um, to the left where you know, it's real difficult for any bands out there to make any dough unless you've had some success in the past. And we have. And in the early days, enough's enough to really good. Let me tell you something, Mitch. Uh, we travel around the country in a bread truck and in vans in the beginning we were making no money at all. It was 50 bucks a show at the most. We'd be opening for Bachman Turner Overdriver to guess who or Cheap Trick. Just playing any shows we couldn't reach the fans. And it took years and years before we were discovered. When we finally got discovered by uh, Derek Showman over at uh, Atco Records, he's seen that the band was uh, hemorrhaging financially. And he came in there and he gave us a quarter million dollars to make that first Enough Snuff album. It's unheard of nowadays, those numbers. So we went in the studio, made that record, and it was such a powerful record that before it even came out, they uh, also came to us with a publishing deal for uh, another quarter million dollars. So we had money. We were able to live. And some of us lived extravagant and moved into Lake Point Towers or into beautiful pads that cost tons of money. And others were um, frugal, like myself, and I stayed in apartments and just put, put a recording studio in my bedroom and so we can continue to make demos. and and show the record company what we had. We've always been very prolific when it comes to writing, not the sound of modest, but we got a lot of songs. It's about trial and error, and you got to do this every single day. <laughs> and after all these years, we found ourselves uh, financially in a, a bit of trouble, so we file a Chapter 7 a bankruptcy so we can get out of our deals, and we ended up signing with Clive Davis. And Clive, super smart guy, believed in the band, did a, made a great record, Animals of Human Intelligence, with them. And right when we did that record, there was a whole change of the guy. at Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Nails and Chains, uh, Nirvana, all that Seattle stuff came in there. And most bands that came out when we did took an ass whipping and they just moved on. Uh, and some of us were able to withstand the punishment and continue to move on with our careers. We were one of the lucky ones out there. We never stopped making songs and putting records out and going out on tours. And as long as you keep doing it, and don't stop, you get a chance to stay in the business. And for some bands, like you were just mentioning Frank Marino, who I absolutely hail, and I was a fan. I've seen Marino in the old days with Mahogany Rush opening for the biggest bands in the world. They took too much time, I think. And when you take the, a break for that long, uh, other bands come in there and take over. So I think that uh, the template of today is uh, make a great record, 
go out there and tour and support it and try to reach as many people as possible and uh, go to the merch table every single night, believe it or not. It's tough for, obviously, bands like Aerosmith and Foo Fighters don't need to do that because they're already massive. But for the new bands, the Greta Van Fleets, the uh, the Struts, of course, you got to go out there and you have to want it 24 hours a day. And luck is the resin of design. It really is. And and even bands like Enough's Enough, you got to get out there and you got to shake hands and, and, and take pictures and, and, you know, let people know that, that you appreciate that they showed up. And let me just get you on one more thing Frank Marino said, and then we'll, we'll get back to Enough's Enough. But he, he said that these days you shouldn't go looking for a record deal and hope that a record company gives you money. He says the way it is now, you're better off going to the bank and getting a personal loan of 10000 20000 50000 and setting it all up yourself, printing your own albums, printing your own T-shirts, and then throwing it all in the van and get on the road. Is that is that a, a, a model? I mean, are, is the record industry model sort of over and done with? Can you still sort of sit around and wait for, you know, CBS or Sony or whatever to give you a deal? Or is Frank's sort of version of, you know, just go get your own loan and just do it yourself. Is, is that better this day and age? Um, everybody's got their own ideas. And I, who am I to say what's right or what's wrong? I'm still out there chasing the carrot myself. Uh, Frank's got a wonderful catalog of material. But he stayed away for a long time. I think for Frank, I would just make a record. I wouldn't take a loan out. I would make a record and find someone that's a friend enough to put you in the studio and produce the record. And then go out and get an agency to help you put you on a tour, and maybe they don't call the action of the tour, you know, i.e., people showing up and pl- and paying for tickets to see the band and buying merchandise. Perhaps they'll uh, get the eyes of some label out there, whether it's an independent label or a major label, and they'll be able to help you out. I don't recommend taking any loans for anything because uh, this business is very difficult. And like I said, if you take a long time. Uh, those long breaks are those are killers right there because there's we're at a time right now, Mitch, where there's too much product and not enough demand. So it's very difficult for any band to go out there and play and then uh, expect an audience when you haven't been out there in 10, 15 years. Yeah. So so let me talk to you then about about Enough's Enough. From 2004, the sort of question mark album over to Dissonance, which was 2010, there was a six year break and then Dissonance to Clowns Lounge, another six year break. Now that we've got the new album out, do you see yourself getting back on a let's make an album every sort of 18 months and then just keeping that cycle going and working it more? Or how do you sort of see it going forward for Enough's Enough? Is it okay to take a four-year break or do you got to stay in the public's consciousness every sort of 18 months and just keep working it keep working it keep working it you got to keep working it that's it that, for sure and by the way we didn't take five six-year breaks in between there that what you just mentioned i put a solo record out we had a, a greatest hits record out where i cleopatra then we did a, an album called covered and go which is all cover songs we had to get permission from queen and prince and the beatles and cheap trick and David Bowie, all of them, and they gave us permission to put that record out, and that did very well for us, too. And then uh, Mike's, Mike's solo record, uh, which was called uh, Chips It Up, Strange Time, that was great, where I had uh, wonderful musicians playing me. I was living with Stephen Adler from Guns N' Roses. We were out in Studio City. We recorded a half an album in my studio here in Chicago and uh, got some great appearances from Robin Zander from Cheap Trick and Dale Basio 
from missing persons. So there was quite a few artists that uh, played on that solo record. And I think all those records led up to what we're at right now. But you're right. The template for most bands, I think all bands, except for the, the major huge uh, bands that have sold hundreds of millions of records is uh, put a record out every couple of years for sure. If the fans want to hear it. We owe it to the fans for supporting us all these years. So if you got the material, that's great. Listen, it's not easy for coming up with these songs and you can go back to the, your archives and go look at, through the library and try to find the songs that you think are strong up to put out nowadays. But um, uh, I've been lucky enough to where I, I have a lot of tunes and I keep writing new stuff. And this new re record that we have, out uh, it's a brand new record. It's not old material. It's fresh new songs. And maybe that's ex was exciting for me. Because we're in a day and age right now. There's a lot of stuff to write about. And I find myself looking around the country and going, well, you know, I'm inspired by tons of things that are happening. So uh, if we can, as artists can find the songs, that's the most important thing. Don't put out a record that's questionable. And if, if it doesn't trip your trigger, then you got to move on. Yeah, you really do. And of course, um, Covered in Gold, by the way, which which I just slipped out of my mind for a second. But that had that cheap trick cover, Everything Works If You Let It, and also the uh, Yankee Rose, the David Lee Roth cover. Um Fantastic stuff. I mean, that stuff was just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you just nailed it. Um, so talk to me about this new band, though. Are, are these guys, sorry, is this the band Enough's Enough with these guys? Or are they just sort of, how do you know, is Enough's Enough a band or is it Chips Enough and whoever comes in and plays is, is sort of whoever comes in and plays? How, how do you sort of see it moving forward with, with Daniel and Tony and, and, and Tori? Ah, it's a band for sure. Okay. We've been doing this collectively for about three years with Tony Fennell in the band and, and with Daniel Benjamin Hill. Uh, Tori Stafragan, he's been with me for a long time, so uh, almost 10 years. He used to be with Black Mollies, and he plays uh, also in a new Black 7 when we're off tour. Two terrific bands. And we move on and forward as a band and collectively. When we share everything, by the way, Mitch, in this day and age, so... Uh, not only is it a band, but we share our publishing as well. Uh, and it's a four ring circus. These guys come out every single night. We never mail it in. We always give everything we got. The shows have been terrific. And, the, and more than anything, the fans have spoken. They love what we're doing right now. So we're moving ahead. And uh, it's it's full circle. Uh, the band started out uh, years and years ago. And we're touring around the country and big tour buses and airplanes. And now we're on the Oscar Minor Wiener Wagon with front and back shocks and it doesn't matter how we get to the city. We're going to get there. We're going to play a great show. And I think people will be pleasantly surprised because they'll get the old material. They'll get the hits. They'll get fly Michelle. They'll get baby loves you. They'll get new thing, but they'll also get the new record as well. And there's some great stuff on the diamond boy record. I'm so proud of it. What a great rock record for us at this day and age. What did uh, one of the major magazines just recently, I don't really re read reviews, although um, lately I have, because I'm just curious on what people Cause they've all been good. Think of this too. And they've been terrific reviews. Yeah. And the journalist said, he goes out, oh, this is a record that bands in their fourth decade shouldn't be making. And he, I, that's a great compliment to me because, uh, uh, it's a, it's a tough road out there for anybody. And for all the bands that are out there, anybody listening to this, uh, you have to move forward and you have to come up every single night and you have to watch your intake and be careful on every single show and get your rest so you can sing these songs. In the old days, bro, I'd be out. The rock stars would be coming on our bus. We had the, 
we had a bus called the Yellow Submarine. We'd have two ounces of cocaine, a big bottle of Jack Daniels <laughs> and tequila and vodka. And we had more pills than a pharmacy. We were out of control. And it was, uh, it was about substance abuse and burn the candle at both ends. And nowadays, it's a complete 360. <laughs> Bands focus. We're staying straight together. I'm not smoking pot on the road, and I'm a high times cannabis judge. I'm really focused on what the task at hand, which is playing great shows. And don't think I don't want to party and hang out with everybody because I do. That hasn't changed, but there's a <clears> lot of discipline. Grandpa used to say to me, a little discipline never hurt anybody, son. <clears throat> and that's what it is on the road. You want to play these shows and you want to be great every single night. You got to watch what you do and be focused. Sorry about that. Uh, so I, I, you heard the cough, I guess, right? You're smoking pot right Sounds like you're smoking pot right now. <laughs> no, I, I hit the cough button, except I had the cough button on, and then I hit it off so I could cough. That made sense, didn't ah. it? Fucking hell. All right. Um, I'll, take, I'll take that excuse. I, well, yeah, I, I will, uh, I will uh, edit that part out. But uh, just uh, quickly speaking on the, on the whole uh, pot front, you, you have, of course, been known to do that in the past. Canada is legalizing it on October 17th, where it's going to be sold over the counter at uh, dispensaries and in, um, what do you call it, um, our uh, uh, alcohol stores are going to have them. So does that mean you're moving to Canada in October? Absolutely not. Uh, uh, <laughs> I.e., to all the people listening to this right now, don't bring pot into Canada and don't leave Canada with pot whatsoever. Okay, that, that's not going to change at all. They don't want to see that. The borders are the most strict borders in the world. Uh, but I love your country, and I'm willing to sacrifice when I go over there. But going, I used to, I played in Canada so many times, it's ridiculous. In the early days, when the first record came out, Motley Crue asked us to come over there and support them. And then for one reason or another, we just couldn't get over to Canada and do that tour. And they ended up, I think they took faster pussycat with them. And that bummed me out. But when we finally got to Canada and got a chance to hang out with some good guys like Bob Rock, who wanted to produce our second album, everybody was smoking out there. Nothing's changed. They both, the laws have always been real accidental and very loose over in Canada. And now that's going to be legal. I'm sure it's going to help a lot. And people won't have to worry about that and walk on eggshells. But uh, the wonderful country, some of the greatest bands in the world have came out of Canada, some of my favorite bands. And uh, it's only fitting that they're finally looking at it and goes, we can make tons of money with pot legal and we could uh, help with taxes and we can move forward. And it's a great medicine. Additionally, it helps a lot of people as opposed to taking pills and any other of those other drugs. I think pot helps a lot of people, the CBD oils and the THC itself. It's a wonderful gift. It's about time that the government has looked at it and said, okay, we got to make, we, we have to change our laws. Yeah, they, they really do. And, and we'll see what happens there. But uh, let me just quickly, quickly get back to, to writing new songs and writing new material for uh, an album like uh, Diamond Boy. You know, as a, and, and I don't mean this disparagingly, but as a heritage act, you could, of course, just go out and put together a set list of 15 of your greatest hits and, and throw in, you know, the cover of Cheap Tricks, Everything Works If You Let It. Uh, why is it important for you as an artist to keep moving forward and have songs like Where Did It Go and We're All the Same and Fire and Ice and Down on Luck? Why not just say, meh, let's go play Fly High Michelle and that's it. We're good. Because we're in a time in a day and age where there's plenty of subject matter there to dissect. And I thought it was important to put a record out and talking about what's happening in the world nowadays. And that's, it's that simple. And yeah, of course I can go back to the, to the catalog and pull that material out. And I do for the live shows. 
But I think the fans want to hear new stuff. They've spoken, and they said, we want a new Enough Snuff album, which means new songs. And you listen to these tunes here, and it's, it's, this record is David Bowie meets the Beatles in the alley, and they fist fight, and Cheap Trick comes in and breaks it up. It's a solid rock record, and it's not a lot of overdubs. It's a real 70-sounding record recorded on two-inch tape like the big boys do it, okay? Not in little pro tools where you can make everything so perfect and, and concise. And that's what makes it so special right there. You hear this record and you go, wow, I can't wait to hear these songs live. And guess what? We can record them. We don't need an orchestra backstage or four guys behind the stage or our 24 tracks of sequencing, throwing back the sounds. It's the band plugging in their amps, singing and playing, and there you go. But also, creatively speaking, though, it's got to be important for you to get new material on, not just say, oh, okay, let's just replay these songs from 30 years ago. Creatively, there's got to be this outlet and the spark for you right oh and the, and the spark is there with the new songs and when we start putting this record together and i i showed the band the songs they were like this is incredible we got something special here and those guys are all writers tony Farrell, great songwriter wrote with ultravox before they was at edwin star he played in big noise a wonderful musician with a great sense of balance tori stilfrag has put records out for the last 20 years he's a wonderful singer songwriter as well even Daniel Benjamin Hill, my drummer, that guy writes great soundtrack stuff. So these guys all have a history of, of making records. And I think collectively putting it all together, we've come up with something that's very special. And it's, we have a nice chemistry together as a band. And it's no different than the Foo Fighters. When Dave Grohl gets together, I'm sure he asks his guys, Pap Smear and all the guys to get together. And, hey, let's put your parts to these songs and, and, and let's bring it to life. And uh, the contribution from the whole gang is what makes it so special. Yeah, really. You know, I have to say, listening to it, I really find it, you really get that sense that this is a band and a band's statement. It really is. It's not just an album. I mean, you're really making a statement with it and, and you can feel it and, you, and there's an energy to it that, that is missing on a lot of albums. You know, it's not just paint by numbers. It's actually, I don't know. It's, it, there, there really is a, a great sense of, of energy to it, for the lack of a better word. And uh, just quickly, you, of course, played with Steven Adler uh, back in the day, and that didn't work out, and, and everybody went their separate ways. But have you spoken to Steven recently, and do you think that at some point down the road you might just say, hey, come on, let's let's do something again? You know, we talked uh, about three months ago. His brother, who was managing him, Jamie, called me and says, uh, uh, Steve wants to talk to you. He wants to put together Adler's Appetite again. And I was very excited about that because we toured all around the country together. I lived with Steven for six years in Studio City. We had wonderful times together. And I would moonlight back and forth. I'd go out with Steven. We'd do a month or two tour, and I'd fly back to Chicago, and I'd go out with Enough's Enough. I never stopped Enough's Enough ever. And I found myself going, you know, I can do this. I, uh, I'm built to be able to go and travel with both bands. And uh, coincidentally, before that, I was with Missing Persons for four or five years as well with Dale Blasio. So I was playing three bands at one time. And then I decided, you know, I really got to put my attention into enough stuff. I want to keep this going. And a lot of work started happening. We were getting uh, tons of gigs and, uh, and great opportunities, movies, soundtracks, whatever would come in. And I kept myself busy. And uh, I also want to mention, mention that I was producing tons of bands at that time too. So when I had time off, I, my recording studio here in Blue Island, Illinois, uh, was packed with musicians. I did a couple of songs with Kanye West and Malik Yosef on uh, the Good Morning, Good Night record, two songs I co-wrote and, uh, and sang on and, uh, and produced. 
And then I did a whole album with Twista, the rap star. So I was uh, trying to do as much stuff as I, I want people to look at the band and go, well, these guys, it's like a six trick pony. They can do hip hop, rap, rock, pop. And that's really what enough stuff is about. If you put it all together, it's, we cover all, everything from pop to rock to heavy metal to alternative. We were alternative before fucking alternative was even out there, bro. So uh, I thought it was really important to show everything that we had from the, from the beginning to, the, to where we're at right now. And I think we've nailed that. I really do. And uh, listen, it's, it, could it be a bandage on a gunshot wound? I'm not going to fool myself. It's tough out there for anybody. But unless you give it a chance and go out and do it, uh, you, nothing's going to happen. So here we are. And it's 2018, the 21st century, my friend. And we're putting out a brand new record. We have a new label. Uh, I think a fresh new sound. A brand new tour going out around, traveling, taking the songs to the street. Uh, there's wonderful opportunities out there. Maybe there'll be a producer or a director, somebody out there hears it and goes, Hey, I can use this for this. Or, uh, uh, maybe there's a, a commercial or we can somehow we can brand the name and keep it out there and continue to move forward. That's what all I care about doing. That's, that's a big thing. I know that the old days of trying to bring it up and be the next guns and roses is going to be very difficult. And we're not looking at that. We're just looking at putting our music out there. And maybe there's opportunities that will come into our, uh, uh, and into our, uh, what we're trying to move forward with on these next tours. That's it. Uh, at the end of the day, it's just a rock band. Look, there's no perfection in what I do for a living. Perhaps pornos are more perfect. At least those guys are really doing it. So, uh, if you want it, you got to want it 24 hours a day, as I said earlier. And I think that enough stuff has proven that we're not going away. No, you're not. And there's and and what I find refreshing is that there is a, still a great energy with these songs. It's not tired old rock. It's fresh. It's relevant. It's exciting. And listen, I recommend folks check out Diamond Boy. It's, it's available everywhere and all the streaming services. You can buy a hard copy. Chip, always, always a pleasure, uh, as we say here. Yes. Mitch, I'd like to say thank you. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you're out there talking to every single rock band out there, and there's some good ones. And you're like the encyclopedia out there, but my friend, you're, you're, you're pushing the love of rock and roll and heavy metal, and the fans appreciate it, and so do the bands. And if I could just mention my tour that's coming up here, uh, yes, of course. the Live Nation tour, and it comes out, Live Nation, uh, it's a Sirius XM tour, of course. No disrespect to Westwood One. Thank them as well for letting me talk to you. Uh, our tour starts though in September. It's with Jack Russell's Great White, Enough's Enough, and uh, the band from Los Angeles called the Bullet Boys. And there'll be an opening act in every single town. I think Pump Five is on a few of the dates, which is, features members of uh, Life, Sex, and Death, which was a big band a long time ago and they haven't been out there for years. And we're going to be touring around the country until uh, the middle of November. So a two and a half month run live nation tour and it starts september 12th in san diego at the house of blues we're doing the wiltern theater we go to new york we're doing paramount we're doing stone pony all the house of blueses 1500 2000 seat venues this is going to start everything off great for enough set up for this new record the first time by the way in 20 years where i've had an album brand new record in conjunction with a brand new tour so get ready, bring your peace signs and paisleys because this is going to be a great celebration of life. Bring it back, Sunset Strip. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. I'm looking so much forward to it, and hopefully it'll come up to uh, to Canada. And here, here's a fun little fact about that. Uh, Jack Russell is going to have a new biography that's going to go out to the press for, for this tour. And guess who's writing it for him? That is right. Mitch Lafon. Mitch Lafon. Because that's I, I do that stuff. People don't, you know, people see the show and they but I also do a lot of background stuff and I've written a lot of biographies for a lot of different artists. And the next one on my plate is Jack Russell's Great White for this tour. See? Isn't that exciting? Just played just played Brownsville, Texas last night. Jam packed three, four thousand people out there. We opened for Jack Russell. And uh, Jack Russell's great white. I got to tell you, what a great band these guys can play. And his pipes are incendiary. And he shows up. And he's he's warming up for three hours before the show. And he comes out there. And it's gonna. We got to get up. We have to be on our game because every single night we have to step it up. These guys are kicking ass. And they got a brand new record out as well. So all three bands' new records out. Brand new tour. Most of the shows are going to sell out because it's a real reasonably priced ticket. Where you got to pay a hundred, two hundred, three hundred bucks to go see a band nowadays. It's like twenty or thirty bucks to go see these these groups play, and you get a free meet and greet. You get to see all the bands and come out and hang out with everybody. I think it's going to be incredible. That that, by the way, is a fascinating concept. The the free meet and greet because so many bands now have started charging seven hundred, eight hundred, two thousand for meet and greets. I mean, and you look at Bon Jovi; they 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 charge somewhere in that you know, 1500 to that. And you don't even get to meet the band. <laughs> you just get to go backstage and, and, and get a, a bag of goodies. So, so good on, on Jack and on you and on, and on the bullet boys for doing that, because I think that's really what it's all about. It's that fan experience and, and, and not forgetting who put you there. And, um, absolutely. And say, listen, Mitch, sometimes it's hard to, I understand why these bands do the meet and greets. It's hard. You sometimes it, it's a make or break. If you don't do that, you can't play that city. It's that difficult. It costs tons to go out on tour right now. But it, uh, once again, I'm not in the Van Hool or uh, at a beautiful uh, Eagle or a Prevo bus traveling around with a bunch of people that burn the candle at both ends every single night. We're traveling around very modestly right now, and it's a tough day and age. You want a tour bus nowadays, it's 1200 bucks a day to go out in a tour bus and to, for the fuel and to oil and you have a driver and hotel rooms. It's very expensive out there, so... I get the mean greet with a lot of bands, but I want the experience for fans to be fantastic. And that's what it's all about at the end of the day, because without fans coming out to the shows, nobody, there's no rock and roll. There's nothing happening right now. And I think we're in a good day and age right now with the newer bands that are carrying the torch. Who's going to be the next one? Who's going to be the next Guns N' Roses or next Rolling Stone? Because we're all not going to last forever. Yeah, and you knew you're right about that. I was I was talking to our tour manager of a band, and I'm not going to mention the band, but they do about 30 meet and greets a night, and he told me that that is financing the bus and their meals and their hotels, and without those 30 meet and greets a night, that tour wouldn't be out out there, and that rock and roll wouldn't be out there, and that is uh, that would be a shame. It'd be a, a, a criminal almost to not be out there. So absolutely, yeah. and Mitch, we uh, and Mitch, we're doing a new thing too. We don't have a meet and greets like most bands do. We just come out and see everybody at the merch booth. But we're doing a special thing called the Sound Check Experience. And you can check it out on uh, enoughsenough.com, E-N-U-F-F-Z-N-U-F-F.com. Real simple. You come to the show, and we play three or four songs before it even starts. And we hang out with you, and we give you a goodie package with T-shirts and CDs or a record. 
and buttons and all the enough stuff memorabilia out there. And then we play the show and we hang with you after the show as well for another hour. That no band does that. Okay. This is the first time we've ever done anything like that. Sound check experience, not a VIP. It's even better than that because you get a part of the show, a couple of songs at sound check, and then you hang with the band at the end of the show and dare take pictures, do it all, sign autographs, whatever we need to do, because we're there for the fans. Yeah, you see, and that's that that's what I've always loved about you and Enough's Enough. You are a fan band and you can't get better than that. Just can't. And we were, I remember in the old days going that we're coming through Canada, playing the Molson Amphitheater, opening for Poison and uh Great White and 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 the Warren with Jay Lane. And you were there. You seen those shows. Yep. And I, after the concerts I go after the concert, I'm not back, backstage hanging out looking for a trim, even though I love girls. What did I do? I went out in the crowd, went to the merch booth, hung out with people, shake hands, kiss babies, take pictures, and it left an Adelva mark because we still get a chance to come to Canada and play. Yeah, you really did. And, and I remember that that particular day specifically because um, you also did a, like a little club show just before or, or, or after, and you were wearing a dress on stage, which I thought was like, oh, that's an interesting statement. Do you remember that night? Yeah. Yeah. Old habits are hard to break. Okay. I've always loved wearing dresses. I can't stop. Them. I don't know why. And uh, it's just something that I've done for a long time. They're very comfortable. I got to tell you that. But yeah, I do remember that. And I was just taking a piss out of myself right there. No big deal. And, and the fans loved it. Hey, when I was tour with Adler, he insisted I wear a dress every single night. We're playing Appetite for Destruction. And trust me, that's a very challenging gig because those Jagoffs wrote those songs when they were in their twenties and no, it's an iconic record, one of the greatest of all time. So we had to work really hard and that we, we wanted to make give the fans something that was real special. And I'd come out every night very androgynous looking and I had more trim than Warren Beatty and Johnny Depp pulled together after me every single night. And when we play a show, we'd pull into like we do Brazil or Argentina at Adlerwood Chippy. Are you going to wear the dress tonight? I go, yeah, absolutely. Say, oh, yes. Chippy's wearing the dress. And the whole band will be so excited about that. Uh, of course, my guys right now, they would freak if I put the dress on. But uh, uh, I, I, you, know, I like you might have to because it's it hot. Out. Who cares how you dress? Okay. It doesn't right. does really matter at the end of the day. Just bring a great show and sing the songs well and play those great songs. And that I think that says it all. It does. And listen, you're, you're going to be in cities like Phoenix and Las Vegas and Anaheim. It's going to be super, super hot. The dress is a good way to get a little bit of air circulating to those parts to keep things, everything dry. So <laughs> I'll use that for an excuse. Thank you. I'm just keeping myself dry, keep, keeping the equipment dry. Uh, Chip, always a great pleasure. Thank you so, so much. And uh, we shall do this again bientôt or very soon. Mitch Lafonia hailed here in Chicago. Uh, much love to Westwood One and the fans out there for keeping rock and roll moving forward. Uh, God bless you all. I hope everybody lives to be 100 years old and buys a new Enough Snuff album, Diamond Boy. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. And a very big thank you to Chips Enough. The new album by Enough's Enough is called Diamond Boy. Do Check that out. It is certainly worth your time and effort. And speaking of time and effort, I made... I made some time here for Boy George of Culture Club. They are, of course, coming to Montreal for a charity event called Strangers in the Night that takes place August 25th at the Borough Hall in Pierrefonds, Roxborough. 
And you know what? It is to support the Miriam Foundation, Lymphoma Canada, and the West Island's Women's Shelter. And of course, those charities are dear to my heart. And I just had to say, yep, I'm going to talk to Boy George on my show because I have to support. And of course, the opener that night is Murray Head. And some of you are going, Murray Head, Murray Head. I know the name. You may or may not remember the name, but the song One Night in Bangkok, you will absolutely remember. So, uh, you know, do check out strangersinthenight.ca for more information about the show, the charity, and the culture club coming to town. And Alan, good day again. Um, Boy George was, of course, up and running and popular back in the day when you were out there with Great White and Guns N' Roses. And Freddie Mercury, the venerable Freddie Mercury from Queen was a big fan. He he was he was always talking about how Boy George was an excellent singer and a fantastic performer. Were you of the same mind of Freddie Mercury that Boy George is just something special and unique? Obviously, he had a good voice for the material that he was doing, and um, you know he came out of that early '80s blitz scene um, and was just slightly post-punk. Um, I don't, I don't know if many people realize it, but, uh, the look that had such an impact, he kind of stole from a, a, a punk called Susie Sue. And, um, there was a guy called Pete Burns who claimed he had the look first. And, uh, George famously, famously said, it's not who did it first. It's who did it better. Um, but yeah, you know, he, he obviously had a really good voice and the other thing is that I find it interesting was it uh, um, you couldn't be more overtly gay than Boy George and he did it at a time when it took a little bit of bravery to do that and uh, in that respect as a culture club he was a little bit of a cultural leader. Yeah he really was and and you know you're right about about his sound and look because he says to me during the interview and you'll hear this in a minute folks but he says it, he said the only thing 80s about Culture Club was the look and that the sound was actually rooted in 70s music and 70s rock. And I thought that that was quite an interesting uh, thing to say, because when you look about when you think about it, um, there wasn't that overt 80s production to it in terms of those heavy sort of cheesy keyboards. There was sort of a. I don't want to say a, a, a not a rhythm and blues to it, but there was a bit of a different swagger to it. If that, if, I know that that's not very clear, but I hope that makes sense. No, actually, I think you're dead on. Um, with 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 the sound and the feel of that band, uh, it was organic. And referring referencing late seventies R and B is accurate. And of course, you know, do you really want to hurt me? This that little reggae chop going through the, the song all the time. Um, they definitely were rooted in uh, a more organic late 70s sound, which I thought was rather cool because it was bringing us out of, out of what I thought was a wretched period of disco. Um, so, yeah, the fact that he could, he could cop some R&B chops, I found cool. Yeah, really, very much, very, very cool. And of course, uh, just before we get over to uh, Boy George, let me just quickly remind you, for many businesses, hiring is tough, which makes it a critical choice to choose the right place to post your jobs. You need qualified candidates fast and on budget. 
and you don't want them to sign a long-term contract or pay upfront fees. That's why you need Indeed.com, the world's number one job site. Independent research shows that Indeed.com delivers six times more hires than any other job sites. You can post a job in minutes and even set up screener questions to help you zero in on qualified candidates. You can review applicants, take notes, and schedule interviews all from an easy-to-use online dashboard. And for a limited time, Indeed, that is Indeed.com, is offering new users a $50 credit to make their first job listings a sponsored job with premium visibility. So more candidates will see it. You want to make a great hire fast, and this exclusive offer gives you a head start. Find out why over 3 million businesses use Indeed for hiring. To redeem this offer, go to Indeed.com slash credit. That's Indeed.com slash credit. Terms, conditions, and quality standards apply. And it's uh, strange for me to read that as I say slash, and I have Guns N' Roses manager on the phone. It's, it's, it's not the same slash. It's not. But Indeed, not the same uh, slash. It's not the not same the slash. Same, but this is the same boy, George. It is the same boy, George. So let's get over to boy, George. It, of course, is for a charity event benefiting um, – the Miriam Foundation, Lymphoma Canada, and the West Island Women's Shelter, which should not only be supported during this evening, should be supported all year long. So please head over to strangersinthenight.ca, check that out. Check out Boy George and Culture Club's new album, which comes out later this year, called Life. And now, let us check out my interview with the one, the only, Boy George. Hello, George. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. An, an absolute pleasure to uh, to talk to you today. I've... Uh, been a fan, of course, for a long, long time. But uh, since we don't have a lot of time, let's hop right into this. Let's talk about this new album that you have coming out in October called Life, the first new Culture Club music in over 20 years. Um, talk to me about putting together the set. And when you go into making a new album after all this time, do you sort of look back to the 1980s and say, we got to make something that sounds like Culture Club from back then, or is it about moving forward and, and opening new boundaries with the music? Well, I think that our reference, my personal reference points are always more from the 70s. Um, um, and I actually think Culture Club were a little bit of an anachronism in the 80s anyway, because I mean, when you play, I mean, obviously the way we looked, I guess, was very 80s, you know, big hair, lots of makeup and all of that, but you know, if you play bands like OMD or Flock of Seagulls or even Duran Duran, I think they got more in common than 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 we do with them because we were we were kind of like you know a, a sort of patchwork quilt of so many things. You know, growing up, glam rock, punk rock, soul music. You know, it, you know the seventies was was a decade you know, that kind of gave you so much, you know, from, as I say, glam rock to punk to disco to electro. And that's kind of was our sort of training ground. So I, I think that we ended up being um, just a bit, you know, like a red sock and a white wash or something. I think that we weren't necessarily that definably 80s. And so when I go back to making a record or when I'm writing a song, I'm always just trying to write a great song. And I think that always works, you know, whether it's, you know, yeah, I mean, all the things that, all the, all, when I go and see a band, it's the songs I care about. I don't necessarily fixate on much more, do you know what I mean? So my favorite, it's all about songs for me. What's the song, the melody, the lyrics, 
you know, the, the, the sort of message of the song. And then everything else is kind of additional, really. It really is. Now, is there an importance for a band like Culture Club to make a new album? You've been back together for a few years. I saw you in Ottawa, I think it was last year or the year before. Absolutely phenomenal yeah. show. Uh, why not just sort of go out there and, and play the, the hits and play the songs that people expect? Uh-huh. Right? Oh, oh. Why the need for new music? Well, but I mean, you, you look at a lot of the, and I, excuse the language, but the heritage acts, that's what they do. They go, eh, we'll just go play the 10 songs. Yeah, know. I mean, if that gives you pleasure, that's fine. I'm not making any judgments, but I'm a, I'm a musician. I'm a creator. That's why I wake up in the morning. I want to create things. You know, I've never stopped writing. Um, you know, and if I didn't think what we were doing was as good as what we did before, then maybe I would take that view. But, you know, I think that we've got a lot of, I personally think I've got a lot of great songs left in me, um, you know, and, you know, the other night I went to see Rod Stewart and it was like a real jolt for me because, you know, you suddenly remember like all those amazing songs, but, you know that you know you. That's what you want to do as an artist. You want to create more of that. Do you know what I mean? And I guess the audience will let you know whether you're succeeding. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can't have. We're not. We're not going out there trying to have the career that we had twenty years ago, thirty years ago. But I still think that you know, you know, listen. No one's writing songs anymore. So in that way, we're unique. You listen to what's on the radio. It's very formulaic. There's a, there's a formula way of writing songs now. And what we do is quite old fashioned, but it sort of sounds kind of refreshing, you know, because, you know, I grew up on great songs, you know, whether it's Bowie or Tom Petty or Nina Simone or whoever, you know, I love a great song and that's never changed. So for me, the album is about continuing that kind of process, you know, trying to say something new and interesting, trying to get people to feel something. I think that's the key. Yeah, it really is. You know what I mean? You've got to, you want the audience to feel something. I mean, that, that to me is more interesting than anything else. You know, how do you go out on stage and perform and c- connect emotionally with the audience, make them feel part of the experience, you know, not, you know, not alienate them, but kind of embrace them. And, and, you know, and, and when you're doing new material, it's quite helpful to explain what it's about. You know, this is what this is about. Um, and I think that really helps, you know, rather than sort of embarrassingly saying, well, it's a new song. I hope you're not all going to hate us. You know, I don't take that view. I'm like, this is a good song. I'm really proud of it. And I'm playing it to you. Yeah, and, and, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing these here on uh, August 25th in, in Montreal. Um, just to talk to me about... And just to add to that, if you're really... And just to add to that, this yeah. is a new song, and if you're really well-behaved, I'm going to sing Dear Really Will Hurt Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see? That's the way to do it. Um, but, but let me talk to you about the album's title here. It's Boy George and Culture Club. Why the added Boy George? I mean, we I, I think most of us sort of know that Culture Club is you know, Boy George and the rest of the guys, why that added sort of and with it on, on this one? I don't know. I'm probably very conceited. <laughs> yeah, well. Maybe I'll look for that. Well, <laughs> probably not. Really, uh, I think I'm, 
Clearly, I think I'm more important than everybody else. <laughs> well, well. I mean, I think that I think for me, I've worked. I haven't really stopped working in the last kind of twenty years. I've been out there as a DJ. I've been out there doing solo stuff, and I've worked really hard to kind of promote who I am. So I just want to make sure people know I'm in the band. It's right. more of that, you know. Sometimes people say, "Oh, you remember Culture Club tried to reform without me." Yeah, and and that didn't last. That didn't last very long. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, you... and people people have said to me, "Oh, are you in? You know, is it with Boy George? Is he in the band?" So this way around, it just makes it really clear that I'm with the band, and um, you know, it doesn't take anything away from them. I think it just adds another dimension. So that's probably why I think. And it makes sense. Now, you, of course, have been active uh, as a solo artist. You know, the last album, This Is What I Do, in 2013, Ordinary Alien, Yum Yum, and goes all the way back. You've never stopped. Yeah. Now that you're re-recording with Culture Club, do you put that aside, or do you think, okay, we've done this one, now 2019 will be for me? How do you sort of see the solo career moving forward, and musically, how do you see that sort of going for you? I'll always make my own records, because my own records have a different type of frequency, you know, it's just a different energy. And that allows me to enjoy culture club. Do you know what I mean? You know, you said earlier, why don't we just go out and play the hits? Well, that wouldn't be satisfying for me, you know, so if culture club is going to exist, it has to exist as much now as it did, you know, as a kind of, uh, as a nostalgia thing. There has to be a reason for us to go out and play. And, you know, I, yeah, I, I think I'll always do my own records, but, you know, I might make another Culture Club record again. I, like, I want to do like an album every year. I'd love to go back to, you know, those old days and just fucking get the album out, you know, every year, whether it's a solo album or a Culture Club album, or at least every two years. I think it's good to, to put music out. You know, it's the thing that gives me the most pleasure to create stuff and to see where, you know, things can go. And, you know, I suppose it's a bit like maybe being a furniture maker. You just want to make something beautiful and then stand back and look at it. You know, <laughs> it's the same process, you know, maybe you're an interior designer and that's where you get your thrill. You do a room up and then you go, oh, look at this, you know, it's the same process. I think for me as a musician, I just want to keep creating and, that's why I have my own little label now so that I can work with other people and I can keep those sort of creative muscles, you know, as fit as possible and, and do things perhaps that I can't do with Culture Club, you know, you know, take risks, you know, you know, just do different things. Yeah, and, it, uh, and it's good to see Sorry, now. Mitch, this will just have to be our last question. <clears throat> ah, okay. Well, then uh, let me see where I'm going to go here. Uh, I'll have to change. All right. Let, then let's just quickly, uh, you're, you're currently on tour. Just quickly talk to me about the no, tour. No, no, we have, in America, we have uh, Tom Baby from the Thompson Twins and right. the B-52s. Not every show. I'm not sure what's going to happen. You're in the Canada, yeah? Yes. Yes, here you get, we get Murray Head opening for you. One night in Bangkok. Oh, is... okay. Well, there you go. It changes all the time. So, uh, yeah, so that's what's happening in, in, in Canada. Um, but here in America, we've been kind of chopping from doing these big festivals with the B-52s and Tom Bailey and then some gigs with Tom Bailey. And, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, get kind of, it's, it's a lot of bands. 
sometimes you just think, wow, the audience has got a lot of stamina, you know, because we've been playing outside in the heat and, you know, there's been rainstorms and all sorts of biblical events. But um, it's been absolutely amazing. I mean, what I think is very exciting is that there's so much love out there. You know, there's so much affection. You're not walking on to hostility. People really, really embrace you. But you still have to be good, you know. You still have to be good because I think for us, especially for Culture Club, people don't know what we're going to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, people yeah. really don't know. And I do talk about that every night. I say, you don't know what's going to happen, do you? And they're like, no. <laughs> and then we spend the rest of the evening kind of, you know, getting them as involved in the show as possible and seducing them, you know, and just making them go home with a smile on their face. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I feel is my job on stage. And you do it well. I mean, like I said, when I saw you in Ottawa with Platinum Blonde, I had that sort of, well, what am I going to get here? And I walked out with like, yeah, those guys are fantastic. That was just fun. And uh, George, an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I know our time has been very limited. And of course, uh, the show in Montreal takes place August 25th, and it is to benefit a West Island women's shelter and... uh, you know, just thank you for doing that gig. It's going to be a spectacular Welcome. evening. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Bye. We'll see you then. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk. And a very, very big thank you to Boy George. Great little interview. It was only 10 minutes. We had a scheduling thing going on but it was a great great pleasure to talk to him loved talking to him and of course i'm looking forward to hearing their new album life which comes out later this year and of course please august 25th in roxborough pierrefond roxborough they are playing this charity event called strangers in the night strangers in the night.ca benefiting the miriam foundation lymphoma canada and the west island women's shelter and please do yourself a favor and everyone around you support those charities all year long and i know a lot of my listeners are not in canada so find out whoever those local charities are in your community and support them uh people people need help and always happy to uh, to lend a hand and do what we can rebonjour welcome back mr alan niven we are going to finish this episode with the metal god no not me rob halford well Indeed.com are redundant in terms of uh, Rob Halford. Uh, it's interesting that we were discussing singer replacement at the top of the show because if ever there were a singer that were irreplaceable to his band, it is Rob Halford. Um, yep. I, ha- I had the, uh, the pleasure of touring with Priest for six months way back when, um, 1984, uh, when the band were at an absolute peak. And I have to tell you, the guy was stunning. And he still is. He, his voice and his power and his delivery is absolutely exceptional. And he's also stunning as, as a human being. I have had a chance to, to talk to him in the past. I've had a chance to meet him a couple of times. And there are some rock stars but you get around and it's all about them and you have to sort of be in awe of them. And Rob Halford and Eric Carr, by the way, of Kiss as well, were bo- are, are two gentlemen that are interested in you and want to know about you and care about you and care about every. They are just so incredibly nice. 
so incredibly well, I'll, polite. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a, a little story that's probably not known, but in uh, 1983, uh, it was evident that the one heavy rock and roll show that was going to roll through America was going to be um, Priest. And uh, the people at EMI looked at me and said, well, what are you going to do to get that for your new band we've just signed? And in those days, uh, if I wanted to travel to England, that was very expensive. So I used to do courier runs and be the responsible person taking a huge bag of stuff that gets put on a plane and you walk it through uh, immigration. And I took a courier flight to the United Kingdom uh, with, without um, an invitation and then went and sat on Bill Kerbishley's extremely cold stone step outside his office for three days before he'd see me. And eventually, after three days, he pulled me into his office and asked me what I wanted. And I told him what I wanted. And uh, lo and behold, eventually, we got the tour. That's great. That is great. And, and have you had any contacts? Because he, he lives down in the, the, well, in the Phoenix or Arizona, where, where you're located. Do you ever see him, like, at the Ralph's supermarket, you know, picking up a pound of butter? Or, or like, any contact with Rob at this point? What? Rob lives down in the city because he likes clubs and he's very social. Um, I live up on a mountain because I'm antisocial and don't like clubs. So our paths don't really cross. But I will tell you this. When, uh, when my oldest son was asking me about the bands of the past, this was when he was about 10 years old. This is quite some time ago. He said to me, Dad, which ones would be worth going to see if they reformed? And I said, top of my list would be priest and i also said you need to check out a track called green manalishi uh, which was a, a redo of an, an original fleetwood mac um, song and it's one of those classics where a band takes a really well-known song and takes it to another another level green manalishi is one of my favorite things from priest yeah, it really is. And now, it's by the way, speaking of original singers and reunion tours and getting back together, how come when we when we talk about Judas Priest and we say reunion tour, nobody ever asks for Al Atkins? Nobody ever says, hey, where's Al? Right? They're, they're, Rob, Rob is, is indelible and, and proof that sometimes changing a member can actually make a band better. Right? Well, the thing I found intriguing was that I was just doing a, a, a little reminder research, and I found that T-shirts from the 1984 Defenders of the Faith tour were being listed at 250 U.S. dollars. That kind of blew my mind. But on the other hand, I sat there and said, "Dead right. That was a fantastic tour. The band were at their peak, and were just." amazingly powerful yeah you know what's what's remarkable and speaking of amazingly powerful is that they just put out an album or earlier this year called firepower and here we are what, what is it 40 years more than that into the career and they're putting out music that is vital and as important to the discography as anything that came before it rather than just going out there and being a heritage act and playing you know breaking the law and blah 
they are actually still making worthwhile music and and I'm just amazed by that because they really could they could roll over and just say well we'll go on tour let's make a few bucks and and not care and yet they still deliver and Rob I don't know if you've heard the album but Rob's voice on the album oh my lord powerful well well I've always thought that Rob was I might say of the spirit um some of those classic songs back there are really powerful statements against the man. Um, you mentioned breaking the law. And I don't think Rob is of the spirit to roll over. I think he's always got a fire in his belly. He, he absolutely does. So let's, uh, let us listen to uh, Rob Halford. Of course, they are on tour with Deep Purple. And just quickly, what do you think of that pairing? I know a few fans went, oh, what are they doing? I think it's great. You know, you can hear um, Smoke on the Water and then Breaking the Law and, and uh, Highway Star. And I mean, it, it just seems like a, a fun evening to me. I, I don't see why anybody I, I, would, right? I, I think it's a terrific, a terrific pairing. Um, there's a tremendous catalog of, of songs with Deep Purple. And there again, Mitch, you know, being brought up in England... I have a slightly different view about um, who you put on a bill. Uh, I think it's more entertaining and more interesting to be slightly eclectic and not have bands that are shades of each other piled on top of each other. That, to me, gets very boring very quickly. I like something a little bit different against something slightly different again. Yeah, I agree with you, because when you think about it, if you have two bands that are sort of exactly the same... You, you've essentially got one that is a headliner that's like the ultimate of that genre, and then you've got one that's just not good enough to be there yet. So you, you've got like wine and then a glass of wine and water, and it's like, well, no, why? Why not have two glasses of wine? And that's what you get with Deep Purple and Judas Priest. You get two powerful bands, just like Journey and Def Leppard this year and, and, and Foreigner and Weiss. You get two bands that deliver the goods, and hit different audiences at the same time, bring a lot of people under the tent is the expression I like to use, and well done on them. So uh, there we go. When it comes to hiring, you don't have time to waste. You need help getting to your short list of qualified candidates fast. With Indeed, post a job in minutes, set up screener questions, then zero in on qualified candidates. And when you need to hire fast, Accelerate your results with sponsored jobs. New users can try for free when you signed up at Indeed.com slash podcast. That is Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms, conditions, and quality standards apply. And with that, folks, here is the voice of metal, the metal god, the one, the only, Rob Halford. We are speaking with Rob Halford of Judas Priest. Always, always a pleasure, Rob. And uh, great. You know, I, I had a chance to see you in Ottawa, and, I had a, and I'm going to see you in Montreal coming up. Just always a spectacular show when you see Judas Priest. Hello, Mitch. Hi, everyone. Thank you for those kind words, Mitch. Yeah, you know, here we are, Judas Priest, all these years later. 50 years next year, Mitch, of Judas Priest. The band was created in 19... 19- 69 is just like incredible but here's the deal if it as you saw us uh, just recently we're having the time of our lives right now with the great success that our fans have given us with firepower 
one of the most um, most wild, wildly and widely uh, kind of accepted reckon the priest, uh, and, and we're thrilled with that, and, and we're having so much fun on the road playing the music from Firepower and everything else that uh, our fans want to hear when we come up and uh, and share a lot of metal, molten metal with you in Montreal. And, and it's going to be spectacular. So. Just talk to me quickly about Firepower, because, you know, as a band that's had almost 50 years of career, you look at an album like Killing Machine or Hellbound for Leather, 40 years already, Ram It Down, 20 years. What motivates you to keep going and, and make an album that is not only good, but vital to the Judas Priest catalog? Well, you know, Mitch, I think we probably talked about this before. When you're a musician, you really have no idea what you're going to create when when glenn and richie and myself sit down in a room together it's an open book it's an open field we always say don't we mix the judas priest style of heavy metal um the only reference that we gave ourselves for this firepower music was to think about the the classic elements of priest and that, again that could be anything that could be something from something the destiny it could be something from staying class it could even be something from firepower um but that was kind of a template that we kept going back to. And I think that was important, you know, when you've got three people working together, you need a reference point, and that was the case. And beyond that, you know, we work into the calendar. We know we have so many months to write, and then we have to get into pre-production, production, post-production, and then have the record finished and delivered to a wonderful label, Epic Sony, and then get out on the road. So there's the, there's the plot. And then anything can happen, um, but the, the the songs were coming hard and strong. Uh, and but when they got into the hands of of um, Andy Snape and Tom Allen and Mike Exeter, that's when the excitement really took the roof off. You know, there's no doubt that the, the reference to the production side of this record is is really important. And then and then there you go. You know, you, you make a bunch of songs. Okay, we've got a record, and then. You release it to the world, and our fans have just um, gobbled it up, and we can't be we can't be more grateful than ever to say thank you, thank you, thank you to, to all of our heavy metal maniacs for making Firepower such a success. Yeah, it's a great success, and and the artwork by Claudio Bergamin is spectacular. And just you might not know this, but my artwork for my show was also done by Claudio, and he just does great work, just great work. Um, In, incredibly talented. Yeah, we we just threw. We we gave him a uh, we just said you you know Judas Priest you're a fan just whatever I think we maybe we maybe gave him one song as a as a you know just to maybe make some imagery in his head but uh, and we talked about um, the Skinners of Vengeance Eagle and the the Defenders of the Faith creature and the Savings of Destiny the Painkiller all this fabulous metal imagery that surrounded Priest I think Claudio knew of that. And then he came up with this creature that um, that we christened Titanicus, uh, of all things, on the back of the blurb of the of the record, if you look at the little statement there. So, yeah, the, the visual side of Priest, as you know, Mitch, you've known us forever, you're, you're a hardcore Priest fan, is just as important as the music, you know. We want to give you something to remember visually, as well as um, what you're coming blasting through the speakers. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I would I, I do want to explore that if we have time left over at the end, but I do want to ask you about Andy Sneap. 
you know, he's of course known for having worked with Accept and Overkill and all these other bands. I mean, that technically that's his day job, for the lack of a better word. Where does he fit into the plans with Priest? I mean, he's of course playing guitar with you now, but is is he sort of moonlighting and then he has to go back to the day job at some point? Or is he committed to the band moving forward as long as you need him? Sort of what's his status, if you want? You just said it. I mean, he's committed to this band for as long as as long as we need him. Andy is a is a prolific producer. He lives in his studio back home in Derbyshire. He loves that's what he does. He gets up in the morning and he goes to his studio, and there it is. That's his life, you know. So we're 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 tremendously grateful to Andy for stepping away from that for this um, this moment of standing in Glenn's place um, for the firepower tour and. Um, I think I can safely say that, that, that Andy will be with us through what's left of the firepower tour, which is going to be hurting through the rest of this year and most of next year as well. Um, where we go from that, we, we, you know, we, we can't even look and see. We're just very happy to have Andy with us. Glenn's happy to have Andy doing his uh, his parts on, on stage for him. Andy's got carved out, carved out his own little kind of way of expressing himself. He plays the songs really well. And the fans have accepted him uh, uh, for doing something very generous. And uh, so it's a, it's a feel-good story, definitely. Oh, it absolutely is a feel-good story. And I couldn't think of a better person to be there. I mean, between Richie and Andy, you've, you've found the two people on earth that could actually step into Judas Priest and have it make sense. I mean, you really did. It, it's a testament to the band and, and the music and those two guys. Um, real quick, you, you've... In the last few years, you've done a song with Five Finger Death Punch in this moment. Uh, Empress Ishan talks about wanting to do a collaboration. Where are you in terms of working outside of the band? Do you want to get back into a situation where you make your own album? Are you just happy sort of showing up and doing a song with Baby Metal and a song with Five Finger and and that sort of is is good enough? Or, Or do you have some creative stuff that you want to get have an outlet for outside of Priest? Well, I, firstly, I'm honoured when, when bands approach me. You know, it's it's a thrill to be thought of, let alone have the opportunity to work with these extraordinarily talented people. But um, that's that's the way it should be in music. You know, we shouldn't be kept in a box. You should be free to do whatever you want to do. My priority will always be a Judas Priest. And if there are opportunities as and when they present themselves, I'll step out and, and, and when time permits and it doesn't conflict with Priest, I have to do that. I'm a musician. I need to express myself. And I feel more vital now creatively than I have ever before. And, and I don't know what that's just a clock sticking, maybe. I don't know. But I'm just so I'm just so happy to be at this place with Priest, all of us in Priest, having the time of our lives with the Firepower World Tour, seeing our fans again and, and just sharing in this, in this great moment together. But I don't really doubt, you know. I was with Ishan just a few days ago at Bloodstock, and we talked about it. Prior to that, I was with um, with um, Nurgle from Bohemia. Everybody knows my love of that kind of music. What would happen if you put three of us together in the studio rather than, you know, one song with, with, with Bohemia from one song with Emperor? Why don't the three of us think about maybe possibly doing something together? You know, that's, that's the joy of, of music. It should be limitless. It shouldn't have boundaries. You know, you should be able to 
go and do what you want to do. And if you feel good enough, then you let it out and let everybody listen to what you put together. Yeah, I, w- I would be very curious to see what that was like. Emperor just played Montreal about two weeks ago, and they were spectacular. I think that would be a, a fun uh, pairing you and, 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 and those guys. Um, quickly, you've got this tour now coming through with Deep Purple. At first, you look at that and you go, ooh, that's an odd pairing. And then the more you think about it, you go, no, that's the perfect pairing because you're going to have... Is. Right, so please, <clears throat> elaborate. Well, just that, you know, I, I used to sit there and... and, and you know, Fireball, Woman from Tokyo, speaking, you know, I'm a fan, I'm a big fan of Deep Purple, it's great for me, I couldn't be on the side every night watching the band play, those songs that I love, as a fan of Deep Purple, and I'm sure it will be the same for all of the the, the fans that come to see this very unique pairing, you know, this co-headlining tour of Priest and Purple is only going to happen once in America. I don't believe we're taking it anywhere else, rather, and Canada as well. So we're not we're not going to take it anywhere else. So it's an event, Mitch. It's an event, and and it is going to work. Purple didn't have the Guinness Book of Records for being one of the loudest bands at the time. Yep, uh, they're a great band, a great band life for, in terms of musicianship. What a great band to watch, Roger Glover on the bass and. Ian on drums, and and, and, uh, and I can't speak enough about Ian Gillan as a reference for me as a singer. He's just been very, very a great inspiration for me in his style and his technique. So, yeah, come and check it out. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be really, really special. Yeah, and it's going to be 40 songs of the 40 greatest, the greatest songs you've heard over the last 40 years. Uh, real quick, we are, of course, recording this August 16th, and of course we had the news today that Aretha Franklin passed away. I know over the years you have you have spoken about her and, and, and have been a fan. Um, just a few words about about Aretha and, and what she meant, not just musically, but also sort of culturally, because she, she's above just a singer. She's a cultural icon. Yeah, a national treasure, she's called in, in, in America, and she, she, so she should be. Because here's the thing. And, and let me just quickly, without deflecting from Ruth, you just mentioned Jill from um, from Huntress, who yes. passed away today. And you see, firstly, powerful women. I love powerful women in a generally male-dominated world. You know, whether it's business or the arts or whatever. This is two sensational uh, singers that really carved out a niche for themselves. But let's go back to to, to, to Aretha. Uh, 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 you know, I, I was like 16 or so when I heard Respect on the radio in England. And I'm like, what is this song? You know, what is this woman? What is this voice? What is it doing to me? And this is it, you see. It's it's the voice. Um, music is music, but we're naturally attracted to what's coming through in, in terms of words and messages. So Aretha's style, um, this incredibly iconic um Lady um, was just doing extraordinary things in and outside of the music. You know, think about the social level of what she was doing in America through all the injustices that were going on um, in America at the time and still to some extent now. So she was a beacon of hope and light uh, in that respect. Um, but the voice is just remarkable, a very immediate, instant. That's Aretha when she comes on the radio, you know. So uh, uh, a tragic loss, much like all my friends that have 
suddenly left us, you know, great singers, singers, whether it's on the, even Lemmy's voice was, you know, extraordinary. Um, so Chester, you know, these great voices that we still have with us coming out on, on, on the radio, thankfully at home, you know, in the car, wherever it might be, their music lives in us. But Aretha, yeah, it, it's a very, very sad day. An iconic, iconic, legendary lady, and we just have to be grateful for the music that she's up to. Yeah, well, yeah, we really do. And and of course, uh, l- let me just properly mention uh, Huntress singer Jill Janus. Of course, she she passed away. She took her own life, and you know, just uh, may she rest in peace. And uh, you know, difficult. It's horrible. It's horrible. I don't want to take this interview too too dark and deep, but we have to try and do something about these this this part of of the music world, um, the the mental issues, the mental challenges that are that are there, and we're losing people all the time, you know, and 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 you feel helpless, you feel like you can't do anything, you know. Because it's such a it's such a terribly destructive black force in a person. A person can seem very happy and jovial and love the family, love the friends, the fans, and then they're gone. And this is the horrible power that this that mental illness can have over people. And we need to do as much as we can to try and address the issue of whether it's you know getting the education, trying to find solutions, talking about it, do whatever we can to make sure that we don't lose people like we're losing them uh, uh, yeah. right now. And, and you know, I, I've never shared this with anybody, but I'll, I'll share it now just for this, and then we, we can move on. But uh, about a year to the day in August of last year, my brother attempted uh, to commit suicide, and I found him, and, and I got him rescued, and he's fine now. But I had no clue. I had no clue. He didn't look sad. Yeah. He didn't look unhappy. I had no yeah. clue. And 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 yeah. I did I did a master's in in psychology and I had no clue. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 you you just you want to scream because you know you 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 because when we lose people like that you feel as though you should have done something you can't yeah. do anything you know that's the that's the horrible side of it you know you feel as though if I now could have sent a text or made a phone call or or did this or did that. This is the this is the t- horrible power that this that this mental illness can have uh, over us, uh, particularly musicians. But that's very that's very powerful for you to share that. Yeah. It's important that we do. I lost somebody uh, years ago, and I think I might have talked about this in in the, in the past. That one minute I was with this person, and the next minute they were gone. I left the apartment. I didn't even hear the gunshot go off, but they were gone. You know, and and why what happened? You know, I, I, I don't know. And it, and, it, and it leaves you feeling so frustrated and angry and sad and helpless. But we have to keep talking about it. Above and beyond, talk, talk, talk. This is the only way we're going to try and get to the bones of the matter. Yeah, it really is. And, and uh, you know, I, I would continue the interview and ask you about all kinds of other stuff, albums and stuff like that. But at, at, I, I just don't think it's appropriate at this point to, to, to do that. So... Um, Rob, just always an absolute pre- a pleasure to talk to you. It's always very real when we when we have a, a chat, and um, you know I do look forward to seeing you uh, in Montreal on the 29th. And uh, just thank you so much for all the music and all the inspiration because I know, at least personally, there are times when it's just not going right back, especially back in the day. 
and you pull out a Judas Priest album or a Kiss album or an Iron Maiden album, and it just brings you back to where you need to be. And so um, thank you for that. Beautiful words. Thank you, Mitch. It's always a pleasure to speak to you, my friend. Metal Maniacs, the priest is coming back to Montreal, QC, at the Bell Centre on the 29th with our good buddies, Deep Purple. Come and have a great night out together. We'll see you soon. Merci. Thank you. Thanks, Mitch. All the best, my friend. See you soon. Bye-bye All the best now. You. Cheers now. Bye-bye. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.